0: this is your Wednesday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. So happy to have you along with me for the ride today. Got a lot to get to today. Chet Holmgren, former Minnehaha Academy star, Gonzaga star, had a big summer league debut for Oklahoma City, 23.6 blocks, um, a big dunk. So Want to talk about him a little bit and his potential rise in the NBA? Kevin Fiala, former Wild wing, spoke with the media on Tuesday. Um, want to get into a little bit of what he had to say. He's joining his new team, obviously the Los Angeles Kings, after last week's trade. Um, I'll have more on that on Tuesday's. I'm sorry, on Thursday's show as well with uh, Sarah McClellan, Wild beat writer. She's expected to be on Thursday show to, to talk about a little bit more about that trade, but also to set up the NHL draft, which will be Thursday and Friday. So a little bit more on that, but we'll talk a little bit of Kevin Fiala on today's show because he was you know, a really important member of this team, but uh, also one who maybe saw the writing on the wall in terms of what his long-term future was with the Wild because of some of those salary cap Constraints. Um, Chris Hine, Timberwolves beat writer, will be with me on today's show to further break down not just the Rudy Gobert trade and you know who won, who lost, hot takes, grades, but kind of where where does this all kind of fit into you know the the master plan of the Timberwolves? What what was some of the uh, you know what are some of the reasons they might have been interested in making this deal at this time how does rudy gobert fit how does carl anthony towns adapt to being a power forward now how does chris finch adapt to you know having a different style of player in in rudy gobert and you know what what ultimately how will we ultimately judge success or failure in in this trade so chris and i We'll get into that quite a bit on today's show as well, but first, what did I miss? I want to spend a little bit of time here on the twins. I know Patrick Roycey and I talked quite a bit of twins on uh, Tuesday's show, the first show back after the long break and there'd been a lot a lot to catch up on with the twins. They'd blown so many games against Cleveland in that stretch. Amelia um, Pagan. Figuring uh, front and center in a lot of those games, a frustrating stretch. The Twins, you know, fell fell back. You know, into you know Cleveland caught them in the division race. Looked like, hey, maybe this just isn't going to be their year. The sky is falling, Um, guys. Guess what? The sky, in fact, was not falling. Um, Twins now four and a half games up again in first place in the. American League Central. Now, part of that is because the Central just is not very good. Um, you know, a lot of other teams struggling. The Twins taking care of the Chicago White Sox for the second consecutive night. The White Sox, you know, the presumable, presumably the, uh, you know, by, by most accounts, the, uh, the preseason favorite to win the division. Um, they have not been able to get it together this year, not executing on a lot of phases of the game. That triple play that Royce and I talked about Tuesday. Um, unbelievable this one was a little bit more cut and dried twins win this one eight to two they get five home runs two opposite field um, you know left left center uh, home runs from Alex Kirilov um, home runs from Max Kepler Jorge Polanco and Jose Miranda Josh Winder gives them a good start replacing Chris Archer who's on the injured list and things just keep on rolling for the twins Six and four in their last 10 games, even with those hiccups. And like I said, four and a half up on Cleveland, six and a half up on the White Sox now. And, you know, I, I got, I referenced this with Roycey on the show the other day. I got like three or four emails while I was off last week. People understandably upset about some of those games against Cleveland. I mean, they, you know, it, imagine if they hadn't blown at least a couple of those games, this division lead would be sky high instead of you know four and a half, but it does feel like that's a little bit more comfortable than it than you imagine it might have been given how last week went. But a lot of negativity last week. I'm not getting the positive emails right now, by the way. funny how that works when the twins win, uh nobody rushes to say, "Wow, what a great team but to, here here was one of the the emails I dug out from uh from a reader listener last week said, when are you sports writers going to point out how incompetent Mr. Dumb Delhi is? Ouch. Name calling in the first paragraph. Won't go on and on, but let's look at the last Cleveland game. Use up Duffy and Moran. Okay, so bullpen, bullpen this, bullpen that. Um, this has been going on all year. Why can some players play every day but no one else? Rocco doesn't know how to put out a game lineup that makes sense. His in-game moves are a joke. He doesn't know how to manage the pitching staff, take starters out too early, and whines that his bullpen is overworked. If it wasn't for Billy Gardner, I'd say he's the worst manager the Twins have ever had. Okay, so people were definitely upset, frustrated last week, but you know what? I've talked about this before on the show. Rocco Baldelli might frustrate you. He frustrates me sometimes. He frustrates Patrick Royce More than he probably frustrates me. Um, If you are a fan of a certain generation, watching starting pitchers get hooked after five innings and 70 pitches probably frustrates you to no end. It's a new way of thinking. It's not just Rocco Baldelli's way of thinking. It is a Twins organizational way of thinking. But you know what? It has been effective. This is the third out of four years that Rocco Baldelli has been manager that the Twins are either have either won the division or are winning the division. Last year was, you know, at this point last year looks like the outlier. This doesn't look like the outlier. Last year looks like the outlier. I did not have confidence in this team coming into this season. I did not think this was a very good team. Didn't see how it was all going to come together. Didn't think the moves they made were going to add up to all that much success. But when you look at it now, You know, when you look at it, you say, "Everywhere I look, I'm seeing a lot of really positive things." Rocco said after after Tuesday night's game, and you know what? He's right. Look at this. Just look at the stats. I mean, look at the look at the way they're playing. Twins are eighth in home runs this season. Um, They're what eighth in team batting average, seventh in. In OPS, I mean they're scoring plenty of runs. How, how many runs do they score? They're they're way up there in runs. They're tenth in runs scored. They're just fine there pitching. Let's look at this. They're sixth in team ERA. I know you guys want to gripe about how much they use the you know, the bullpen versus the starters. I know that it's frustrating sometimes when he, when a pitcher gets a quick hook, but it is by and large working. Does it seem like? Smartest guy in the room stuff sometimes. Yeah, it does. It's frustrating. I get it. But it also has been very, very effective. So I want everybody to take a collective deep breath and just say, Okay. All right. Twins, forty-seven and thirty-seven. They let some games get away. They won some games they maybe shouldn't have. That game, uh the game against the White Sox on the fourth is probably a great example. They're, you know, tie game. They get a miracle triple play. Um, when when Chicago runs themselves out of an inning that that could have been a disaster instead it's not twins go on to rally and win that game played well but you know that was a flash point in the game where they got a huge break there have been plenty of games this season where the twins maybe didn't deserve to win and then did win just like there's been games where they probably should have won and then blew the game late because of bullpen malfunction that's baseball that's gonna happen maybe it's happened a little bit more than you'd like this year but the sum total is 47 and 37 right now first place by four and a half games and Rocco after the game said hey i don't think we feel we haven't we don't feel like we've accomplished anything at this point there's a lot of season left that is absolutely true but they're more than halfway into this thing now they're in first place even through everything that happened against cleveland You know, the last, you know, 10 days, two weeks, they're still four and a half games up on in first place again now. This is not a good division, and I do think, though, that this is a decent to good Twins team. You look at everything they're doing right now, everything they have been doing is above average in baseball, so... Let's just take a deep breath and say, okay, maybe this is working. Maybe it's not the way I am accustomed to watching baseball, but it is being, it is being effective and the twins are winning. MGM Wine & Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre-mixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there is an MGM near you. Head to mgmwineandspirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine & Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. Happy to be joined on Daily Delivery today by Chris Heim Back at it. Um, it's been a while since Chris and I talked, I think. We probably talked a little bit around the draft. Chris, that seems like forever ago because trades and free agency have stolen the Timberwolves headlines. The biggest one, of course, being the Rudy Gobert trade late last week. I think I described it in a blog post Monday as they gave up. But a third of their rotation and half of their first-round pick for the rest of the decade. But uh, <laughs> but they got yes. they got their guy, and uh, it's a fascinating deal.
1: It is. Um, it's been fascinating to watch the reaction to it, both locally, fans on social media, nationally. Nationally, th- this trade couldn't could have gone worse for Minnesota if you believe the national pundits out there. I haven't yet to see really one positive word from anybody nationally uh, on what the Timberwolves did. But I think the fan base is very fired up. I think locally people are very fired up about it. So it's just, it's been interesting to kind of notice the the varied reaction to this deal, uh, depending on what your perspective is.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. Now, from your perspective, Chris Hine, what – I mean, we'd heard we'd heard some rumblings um, about this being a, a possibility. But as you kind of sit back and analyze what they did in kind of going all in on this move, what what are your what are your thoughts? And it, just, it surprised me, I guess, just from the standpoint that we've seen new you know, general managers in, in a lot of different sports, especially in this town, you know, come in and take a little while to evaluate things, right? They, they look things over, they say, okay, here's where we, here's where we're strong. Here's, here's here. We need to add, but I want to look at our roster and see how it all works together. Connolly comes in right away and makes a big, big headline grabbing move.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, some of that is looking over the roster. Some of that is looking over the, the Western conference as a whole. Um, I, I think you can kind of look at this Wolves roster from last year and say, it's a nice, it's a nice story and it's a nice, Kind of upward trajectory for the franchise, but you know you need maybe a missing ingredient that's going to put you over the top. Now, you know there was all the rumblings about them being after Dejounte Murray as their next point guard. Potentially, he goes to Atlanta the day before uh, Gobert gets traded. So it's just interesting that they seem to have been in the mix for a point guard that they would have given up a lot of draft capital for, or a. Big man, who they gave up a lot of draft capital for. And so I think everybody's curious as to what the fit will be with Carl Anthony Towns. I think it's it might be an easier fit with those guys than people might think because I think Gobert does a lot of things on the defensive end that Towns doesn't do well. Sure. And I think on the other end of the floor, Towns does a lot of things that Gobert doesn't do. So I, I think it could I think it could fit decently well on both ends of the floor. Um you know Tim Connolly comes in, maybe he's itching to make a move, but I also think, you know, potentially ownership might have been itching to make a move that that Mark Lori and Alex Rodriguez, you know, new owners coming in, want to make a mark, want to make a splash. You know, we've seen that in the NBA before and it doesn't always work out, you know, when when ownership is is trying to make a splash right really quickly. Um, there's, it's definitely, a, a minefield. If you go back and look at some of those, uh, deals, um, but there's I just, in the, in the history of the Timberwolves franchise, this team is currently constructed, has a chance to be the best team in franchise history, which, you know, you might think is hyperbole, but it's the Timberwolves we're talking about here. It's not really hyperbole.
0: Yeah. I mean, this is the franchise that has had one season where they advanced you know, into the playoffs and deep into the playoffs. That was, of course, the 2004 year that we always referenced, that trip to the Western Conference Finals when, you know, Kevin Garnett was the MVP of the league, and that was quite a good team, 158 games. So I, what, you know, as currently constructed, you would imagine the starting five is Gobert, Carl Anthony Towns, then Jaden McDaniels at the three, Anthony Edwards, and then D'Angelo Russell. Now, who knows how long Russell will be here exactly. You can't pay everybody, and Gobert and Towns are very expensive. Edwards will be expensive in a few years. McDaniels could be, too, if he continues to be the player they hope he is. Now, they've got some kind of bargains around the edges. You know, they signed Bryn Forbes to a league minimum deal just to shoot threes. I thought the deal for Kyle Anderson was reasonable, and they got guys like Jalen Noel um, you know, playing probably elevated roles still in the, you know, Edwards and McDaniel still on rookie contracts. But, you know, as you think about the roster as a whole, what, I mean, what do you think what what is the ceiling for the next three to five years? What's the what's the realistic aim here?
1: I think a realistic aim is each of those years, you're a top four seed in the West. You make a finals push. At least one of those years, you hope. Um, that seems, what do you think? I, I, it seems realistic to me. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I just, it's, 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 it's hard. Just, it's, it's so hard to say. It's so hard to say.
0: It's hard to you know hope, without you, you, without seeing it t- together yet. But right. um, I mean, that's got to be the hope, right? I mean, they don't, you don't make this kind of move you don't to make say. make this
1: move without title aspirations, right?
0: I don't think so. And I, I don't think it's, well, and I, I, and you look at their starting five, that's a, that's a really good starting five.
1: It is. It is. It's probably one. It's one of the better ones in basketball. Um, you know, it's just the D'Angelo Russell part of this. We'll see how he fits in going, going forward. You know, they're in, they have a window here and I wrote about this Sunday. they have a window here with, with Ant and Jaden on their rookie contracts still for the next two seasons. So, you know, Yes, Gobert is making a lot of money, but they should be able to avoid the luxury tax for the next two seasons. That gives you two seasons of time to see if this thing is working, right? And in two years, if it's not working, before you have to venture into the luxury tax to, to keep it humming, if you so choose, you can evaluate what's working and what's not, see, see who you might be able to deal you know, and figure that all out um, to maybe try to avoid the tax or rebuild, whatever. Um, so it's not like they, the Wolves are spending an exorbitant amount of money here in the next two years. They should be right. under the tax um, because those rookie deals are still good for the next two seasons. But then once, uh, once Ant and Jaden get their extensions, then you're talking about like If they really are going to go for it, they're looking at a a, probably a hefty luxury tax bill in the future to keep it all together if it works.
0: And how much of this do you think, I mean, like you said, new ownership, they want to be good, they want to be relevant, and they want to be good and they want to be relevant because these are competitive guys. Mark Laurie and Alex Rodriguez are competitive guys, but they also probably want a new arena at some point. How much do you think that kind of factors into Hey, let's go for it now. Create a certain buzz around this team, a certain energy around this team, to uh, to make it worth make it worth this market's while to 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 build them something new potentially.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's definitely reasonable to to think that that could be in play. Um, you know, it's just hard to say. Did it have to? Did it have to be done now, this year, this very moment? Maybe not. But I, I think you could say that. Yeah. You're setting up to to try and make some sort of move in the future to to keep the interest to to take this franchise to the next level. And this is always how it was going to have to play out for a team like Minnesota. Like, you're not, you know, we we talk a lot about how Minnesota is not going to get, you know, the top line free agents to come here. You have to trade for them. And and you're going to have to trade for them. You're going to have to give up something in return. To, to acquire these people or these these kind of players players who make all NBA teams who get individual accolades like defensive player of the year so you're going to have to give up something um i you know does it would it make people feel better if they didn't throw in let's say the 2029 draft pick <laughs> right. you know does that does that does that make you feel any better about the trade if that pick isn't included you know what i mean like like right. I, I wonder where the line is in terms of what the draft compensation would have been um, that would, that people would have said, okay, that's enough to, to, you know, we should stop here. Um, you know, if they're, if they're winning games and they're getting to the Western conference finals and they make a finals push, you're, you're not really going to remember the draft compensation too much.
0: And a lot of that was because, they didn't want to part with McDaniels, right? That was a big piece yes, of, yes. that was a big piece of that. If they would have been willing to, to give up McDaniels, it would have been far less draft
1: compensation. Yeah. Yeah. That seems to be the the case. Yes.
0: Okay. So it's just a, it's an interesting move all around. Now what with what they shipped out in addition to the four first round picks and this year's first round pick, um, you know, three of the guys that they traded were, you know, pretty heavy minutes, guys rotation guys starters to a degree or at least high minutes guys in jared vanderbilt patrick beverly and uh, malik beasley how much do you think they will miss them i kind of have a i have conflicting thoughts on how much they'll miss those guys
1: i i think they'll miss they'll miss them a little bit they'll miss pat Bev's uh defensive intensity and culture setting um but you look at it and it's like he's on He's 34 years old, I think, and on a one-year deal. So how much is he really in your long-term plans? You know, Jared Vanderbilt, a really nice player, I think is is has a, a good future in this league. Uh, being a very good player on potentially contending teams with his defensive intensity, his rebounding. Um, you know, limited offensive uh potential just given you know uh, what we saw out of him last year I don't think the ceiling is very high offensively but uh, who knows how he'll develop Um, Rudy Gobert gives you more on that end of the floor than than Jared Vanderbilt does Um, and as for Malik Beasley I think maybe the guy that they will might miss the most on the floor out of this trade might be Beasley, just given his prolific shooting and the fact that he came on and looked like his old self in the second half of last season after a rough first half, um, you know, losing Vanderbilt hurts, but, but Gobert having a, acquiring a defensive player of the year in return uh, <laughs> helps to offset some of what you're not, what you're missing out of Jared Vanderbilt. Brent Forbes helps offset some of the, the loss of Beasley because he can shoot 40% for three-point range. Um but I think Beasley had was coming on defensively at the end of last year as well, playing major minutes. So I, I think of the of the the bunch that they gave away that he's probably the one they missed the most.
0: Yeah, I think that's fair. And the, the rotation is just kind of reconfigured now, bigger role for Jalen Noel, I would imagine, and of course, like I like I mentioned, they got Kyle Anderson too, who should be able to give them minutes off the bench. But it's the the Towns and um, Gobert pairing that's the most interesting to, in, in all of this. It, it's got to be, and, and how Towns adapts to being a four when he's been a center pretty much his entire career. Um, a lot of that, I imagine, is going to be on Chris Finch to figure out how the floor gets spaced, how that all works together. And I imagine there's going to be some, some growing pains there. I think it works better defensively immediately than it probably does offensively. It's just going to be interesting to see how that all comes together.
1: It is. Cause how much is, is Carl going to play inside as opposed to playing outside on the offensive end? I, I still think when you have two guys like towns and Gobert, I think you'll be able to figure it out. I, I, I think they will figure it out eventually. And um, Chris Finch has experience with putting together offenses that revolve around two bigs. He's done it before in New Orleans with Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. So maybe you'll see a little bit of that playbook coming out this season. Who knows? Um, But, you know, Gobert is one of the best screeners in the league. Uh, you know, the, the stat screen assists basically exists because of him. Right. Um, so you know, that's one way to get him on the perimeter. Maybe you get Carl down low. I, who knows. Um, but I think you're right. I think defensively it probably clicks a little easier at first than it might offensively. But I think there's just there's enough so much talent there. There's enough shooting on the floor that it'll stay spaced because Carl himself can shoot 40% from three-point range. We know Russell can shoot well and is a decent three-point shooter. So, And Jaden, I think, can be okay. We'll see if he takes a jump this year with his three-point shooting. Um, so I think there's enough shooting on the floor for that in that starting five that it could work.
0: The doomsday scenario, of course, is that none of this works. Some sort of combination of injuries or ineffectiveness for whatever reason torpedoes this and they end up giving up a, a whole bunch of unprotected lottery picks that turn into the next lebron james i don't think that's gonna happen but this is the timberwolves i mean how how worried should they be about giving up so much draft capital
1: um you start worrying if this doesn't work (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know if if, if this is working and they're winning 50 plus games a year and and making deep runs in the playoffs like i said you're not going to worry so much about the draft picks um but if this doesn't work um You know, I don't know how much you're going to be able to recoup down the line. Like, let's say we're two years out from this, it they've decided it doesn't work, and now it's time to to you know cut your losses and and try to get back what you can. I don't know what they're what they would do. Who who would you pivot to trade at that point, and what what could you get in return? It's just tough. That's always going to be kind of hanging over this is is those draft picks and what they potentially become. Um, It's just it's just too hard to say you hope that for the next three years when when you you give up two of those picks that they're going to be at least in the 20s yeah but again you never you never know you you never do know that's the risk you take
0: we'll meet gobert on wednesday if i'm not mistaken and that'll be an interesting uh, an interesting introduction um yeah it's this is just a it's got to change the way you think about this team. I mean, all of a sudden they, you know, they go from a nice little story to this, this team that's really taken a big swing and it's just kind of where can they take it from here?
1: Exactly. You know, (laughs) when we're talking about, western conference final runs and things like that you know you know that it's it's a different day for the for the Minnesota Timberwolves than than when this podcast started for instance
0: it really yeah the, one of the very first episodes of this podcast was after Ryan Saunders got fired and they were like 7 and 24 at that point or i don't know what their record was exactly but it was not good and to to from there to here in about 17 months is a pretty uh pretty far uh, pretty far way to go well Chris Hine, good stuff. We'll, I'm sure we'll have plenty more to chew on as time goes on, but I uh, appreciate you hopping on, and we'll we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Mike. Good stuff from Chris Hine, as usual. Um, one thing I just wanted to point out, too, is I keep going back to Tim Connolly's quote at, the I think it was an inter- introductory news conference, where he's talking about ending possessions and how that's the most important thing, getting rebounds, finishing possessions off, and that feels like that was a big motivator in what they went into this offseason attempting to do. Um, Denver was number 1 in defensive rebound percentage last season. That's where Tim Connolly came from Utah with Rudy Gobert, you know, gro- gobbling up the boards was 5th in defensive rebound percentage last season. That will give you a lot of ended possessions, that's a big deal. When you need a rebound, you're going to be able to get a rebound. And that that was a frustrating piece, especially in the playoffs last season. And that should not be a problem now, especially when Gobert and Towns are on the court together. So watch for that this season. Let's move on quickly. I want to talk a little bit of Kevin Fiala. He met with the media on a Tuesday. A video call said, you know, it is what it is right now, talking about a the trade that sent him from the wild to the Kings. Um Just tried to win some games. Yeah, it is what it is right now. To be honest, I'm really excited right now for this new chapter, and he should. I don't know why he'd have any hard feelings about any of this. He got a seven-year, $55.125 million deal from the Kings, and the Wild could not have afforded him, as Sarah McClellan pointed out in her story, and I'm sure we'll talk more about on, uh, on Thursday's show new contract at average value almost 8 million dollars is more than the wild's current salary cap space of 6.6 million so the numbers just weren't going to add up unless the wild was going to trade a whole bunch of other players that just wasn't going to make sense so the wild not only getting a prospect but a first round pick in exchange for Fiala that you know that to me is kind of the ideal for uh, for the wild i like Kevin Fiala but you know getting Brock Faber getting a first round pick in this deal that, you know, that's kind of what you should do with these, with the players that maybe you don't want to pay. You, you don't, you worry about overpaying. So I think this worked out pretty well. They got some, they got good years out of Fiala. Um, you know, the, the trade of, of Granlin for Fiala came out looking really good in, in that case. And, you know, that's just kind of the way it is. It's the nature of the business. And that's, that's where they are right now. And I'm sure Sarah and I will talk more about that on Thursday's show. Let's finish with the cooler Chet Holmgren. My goodness, a monster game in his summer league debut. 23 points, 6 blocks. I think he had like a laughing emoji on Twitter afterwards. Um yeah, 23 points, 6 blocks. He he made uh made some three-pointers. He's, you know, 4 of 6 from three-point range, 5 of 5 from the line, 7 of 7 from two-point range. I mean, my goodness, this is a guy you know, just it's just Summer League who you know, it's just Summer League, so it's 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 just, you know, it's not the NBA, it's not not this, not that, but that is awfully impressive for a debut. So I'm I'm looking forward to watching more of this, just seeing how his body type, how his game translates to the NBA. And so far in summer league, so good for Chet Holmgren. That'll do it for today. Like I've mentioned a couple times, Sarah McClellan on Thursday's show. Hope you enjoyed today's work. We'll be back at it again tomorrow.